Listen to this. He's talking about Jesus. This is the story of Jesus that John is telling. And he gets to verse 4, and, and Jesus is referred to here as the Word. And he says this, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines, as present tense, in the darkness. And the darkness can never, shout can never, extinguish it. Come on, shout amen. amen. Please be seated. How to be a champion of hope, part one. That's what we want to kind of focus on this week. Everybody shout champions. champions. When a number of us think of the word champion, particularly those of us who are men, the first thing that scrolls across our mind are pictures and names of athletes. We're champions. We're blessed to be here in uh, the Bay Area. We have a number of champion teams from uh, the Warriors to the 49ers, although they're not having really a good team. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, you would put the, you know, the, the Raiders of, of old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Giants, <laughs> the Sharks are coming along. Yeah, so come on, let's give God a hand praise. We got a lot of we got great champion teams around here. <laughs> and so we started thinking about names, you know. We started thinking about folk, you know, Steph Curry and Joe Montana and, and uh, 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 just a wide variety of names. Ken Stabler, for example. Uh, and then if we think nationally, uh, other names come to our mind, like Michael Jordan and and uh, Roberto Clemente, and uh, Steffi Graf, and Billie Jean Queen, Queen King, and Serena Williams. And, uh, and in the world of uh, golf, I, I think particularly of Arnold Palmer and Tiger Woods. Now, let me just tell you why I think of Arnold Palmer and Tiger Woods. Uh, usually when I go to the restaurant uh, <laughs> to, to, and get ready to order a drink, I ask, well, what's your non-alcoholic drinks you have? And then they usually tell me they have an Arnold Palmer, right? And then I always forget what that is, and they tell me it's, you know, it's lemonade and tea. They say, well, would you like an Arnold Palmer? I said, no, I actually would like a Tiger Woods. And, <laughs> and, so, and so they're like, they're, 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 I just, just done this a thousand times. And so the, the waiter's like, they're stunned, like a thousand, uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, uh, what, what is that? I said, a Tiger Woods is Coke and lemonade, all right? So, <laughs> so, 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 since I've done this all over the country, if, uh, if you pick up a menu and you see a Tiger Woods, I want to know about it. I want to know about it. <laughs> Everybody shout champions. You know, one of the things that's unique about champions that really inspires us, particularly about athletes, but just about any kind of champion, is at least two things. First of all, uh, we are inspired by how they seem to stand out from the, the crowd. And all champions, they, they, they are competing in a heavy, crowded fields of competent uh, athletes. But there's something about them that causes them to rise to the top to stand out from the crowd. The second thing that I find uh, inspiring about most champions and, uh, is this notion 
that they tend to overcome the odds. As a matter of fact, those champions that, that, that really overcome the odds, those are usually our favorite champions. I mean, you know, what was really great about the Warriors was that they had lost, you know, 40 seasons, 40 years, and then they overcame the odds and, be, and, and, and won the championship. That was, man, we loved it. It was extraordinary. And for example, the Cavaliers, you know, they were three games back in the finals and no team is ever come back from three games back and won the NBA championship. And so the Cavaliers happened to do it and we hated it. I mean, it was not, <laughs> it was not inspiring for me, but in general, in general, we're inspired by this notion of overcoming the odds. I mean, even Jeremy Lin, Jeremy Lin doesn't have a championship ring, but, but he fits this notion of champions, uh, uh, of champions because as, a, as an Asian-American playing the amazing uh, 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 professional NBA basketball, I mean, in fact, you know, he, he's, he's overcome the odds. That's why we have this, this Lin mania that's happening. We, 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 we love this notion of standing out in the crowd and overcoming the odds. That's what's unique. Why do we like that? I'll tell you why, I think. Because it has the ability of touching a little area in us called hope. It's hope. Because when we see a team or an athlete overcome the odds and stand out in the crowd, we translate that into our own personal lives. And whatever I said, we don't necessarily think we're ever going to be a Steph Curry or, or, or Muhammad Ali or, or whatever the case is. But in our own lives, as it relates to our families and our careers and the challenges that we face, somewhere deep down inside, even if we don't act on it, it's just a little inspiring. It says to us, maybe that can be me. Maybe I can stand out in the crowd as a father or a mother. Maybe I can stand out in the crowd as a professional. Maybe I can overcome the odds and break the cycle of addiction in my family. Just maybe. It's pulses. Now let me tell you about the world's greatest. And by the way, I would lump all of these, uh, character, these heroic figures in the one category. And I would just simply call them all champions of hope because they inspire hope. Shout, champions of hope. Now let me tell you, the best, greatest champion of hope in all eternity, his name is Jesus Christ. He defeated the ultimate power of evil. We're seeing evil um, gliding around us now, but the ultimate power of evil, he defeated it. The ultimate power of the grave, he has overcome it. Uh, Romans 8 says it like this, we are more than conquerors because of what he has accomplished through his love. He is the ultimate champion of hope. And this passage that we read, I told you last week about the power of telling stories. And John, as is the case with all the gospel writers, he's telling the story of Jesus. Because John's figured out, as the gospel writers have, John wants you to get to know Jesus. He wants you to trust Jesus. 
He wants you to develop a relationship with Jesus so that Jesus can be active in redeeming your life, bringing hope. And John knows that, that you can't get to know Jesus, you can't trust Jesus, you can't open your heart to allow him to enter into your, to your life unless, unless you know Jesus' story. So John is telling us Jesus' story. In the beginning was the word. He's reminding us that Jesus is God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that is made. Uh, and then here comes, here comes what I call, here, here comes the hope portion right here. Watch it. He says, he says, he says in verse 4, he says, he says, uh, and, 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 and the word gave life to everything that's created. Come on. Everybody say, the word. word. Say, gave life. Gave life. To everything. That's what, what John is saying. Anything that's alive. The source of the life is Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, that's a kind of hopeful statement. And then he says this. This is, this is what gets a little more interesting. He says, and his Life brought light to everyone. His life was light. Now notice that that verse is past tense. Notice the verb that the word gave life. Gave. Everybody say gave. Past tense. His life brought. Everybody say brought. Past tense. This, is, this has happened in the past. But then comes verse 5, and it's what I call the eternal presence. In other words, what he's about to say about Jesus was true about Jesus in the past. It's true about Jesus today. And it'll be true about Jesus a million years from now. And here's what he's saying about this life that always shines light. He says this. He says, and the light, talking about that comes from the life of Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness, darkness represents evil, darkness represents sin, darkness represents all the ways that your life is falling apart and want to make you give up hope. And the text says, but the darkness can what? Never. never. Oh, that's a powerful statement. Can never extinguish it. Yeah, you ought to celebrate that. That's good news. That good news. I don't care how thick the darkness looks. I know the terrorist reports are rising, but the darkness can never extinguish the light. Come on now. I don't care how horrendous race relations become and how hopeless it looks. The darkness can never extinguish the light of Jesus. I don't care what's going on in your life. You're wrestling with cancer with children that's out of control. I'm here to tell you, don't concede the hopelessness because the darkness can never extinguish the light that's found in Jesus. All right, now here's a fascinating point. This is for folk who follow Jesus. If Jesus lives in your life, you have that light. Doesn't that make sense? If Jesus lives in your life, you have that light. If Jesus lives in your life, you have that hope. I like to say, as I said last week, you can be the hope. Yes. 
Why? Because scripture tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All right? Now, let's connect with where we are. Well, Romans, I quoted this text last week. And, and, and then in Ephesians, let's start with the Ephesian text, 2.14. We think about race relations. And we think it's a contemporary phenomenon. But in fact, it was a big issue when Jesus showed up. This tension among ethnicities, Jews and Gentiles. And so when Paul is also explaining who Jesus is, uh, here in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, notice what he says. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace. Shout peace. peace. This is talking about this light that can't be turned out. Has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into what? One people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And when we talk about the racial challenges today and the violence today, we're talking about walls of hostility. And yet we're here, different ethnicities and different histories. And it is the proof that he who is the light that lives in us is fully at work breaking down walls of hostility. Making us one people. And if he lives in me, I have his light. I have his power. I have his hope. And so I can be a champion of hope and also be a wall breaker. Ask somebody, are you a wall breaker? Ask them. If they don't ask, tell them where you ought to be. Tell them you ought to be. (laughs) Let me share some stories. Last week, you know, the challenge last week was that you get out and over the next three months you find ten people who are different from you, different race, different ethnicity, and begin to share some stories. You know, here's the point. I told you last week that we, get, we got to where we are because fear and the absence of relationship. And we, and we got into this place that you're reading and watching on the news. We got here one relationship at a time. One bad choice at a time. One bad relationship at a time. One degrading deed at a time. And like drops, droplets of, of, of water, at some point it leads to a river that ultimately leads to an ocean. But it's, it's, it happened. Teenagers, it happened. One relationship, one bad relationship, one bad encounter at a time. Last week, I challenged, I invited my board after the message to share stories. And I then went to my staff meeting and I invited them to share stories across race and ethnicity because we're a diverse church. We're diverse on our board. We're diverse on our staff. We're, 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 we're by intentionality. We're, we're stewarding what God has given us. I had one young lady named is Ashley Drury. He's married to a Will. Ashley's mother is, is white. Her father is African-American. She shared her story in staff meeting. She said she never really fully understood the plight of African-American men when it comes to police until she married Will. Together, the other night, they both reminded me of the story, so I had the details right. I'll just give you a quick version. A couple of years ago, they were driving from Washington to Pittsburgh, and they went uh, into a tunnel. Going into the tunnel, they saw the state police parked on the side patrol. 
Will instinct says, I better be cautious. I don't want to give him any reason to pull me over. And so as he goes in and he puts his lights on, as he goes into the tunnel, he makes sure he doesn't change lanes. As they exit the tunnel, they notice and they hear the sirens. Pulls them over. Ashley says by now she's fuming because she's watching. She knows that he's doing everything possible to do it right. And they still get pulled over. And, and, and the police officer comes to the window and he essentially says to them, you know, he, he, he asks for the license registration and, and uh, he, he asks them, he says, you know, you, you, uh, you, you change lanes. Will said, I'm sorry, sir, I, I didn't change lanes. They didn't change lanes. Police took the stuff roughly and went back, looked at the camera. They assumed he came back later and uh, he wouldn't even apologize because he found out that he was wrong. He just said, well, wh- wh- where are you going? They told him where we're going. Where you get this car from? Told him where to get this car from. This interrogation. Finally, he said, just watch your speaking me. That was Ashley's story. Everybody shout story. Let me show you another story. I got an email from Jan Leah. Last week, Jan Leah is a police officer. I married her and her husband a couple years ago. And she wrote me this note. Here's what she writes. Pastor, the series of violence that occurred this past few days is breaking my heart. Watching a police officer gunned down on television makes my heart so heavy. I feel for the families and the friends of those two men whose lives were taken away by police officer also. I feel the pain for the loved ones of the five officers that was lost in Dallas as well. I ask that you pray for me. Look at the, and the rest of the law enforcement officers that put their lives on the line to save others and then she writes cops lives matter too my heart is broken because there are so many of us good officers serving the community and we sacrifice so much to take to make the community safe and just like everyone else we want to go home to our loved ones at the end of our shift and yet lives of innocent officers are taken away because people are angry at police officers as a whole please include us in your prayers for peace healing and comfort how do we get here how do we get into a place where Ashley's and Will's story is a reality how do we get into this place where Jen Lear's story is a reality how do we get into a place where just this morning I couldn't even get finished preaching the first message before I I got news that in Baton Rouge, another seven police officers have been shot. And three have died. How? Come on, guys. How did we get here? I I tell you, I tell you, it's one bad incident after the next. It's one bad encounter after the next. It's one bad relationship after the next. That has a cumulative effect that has set an environment that facilitates killing. And I just want to go on record. Killing is not the solution. I I, I think Dr. King is the one who said it best. An eye for an eye policy means that everybody's going to end up blind. My my daughter likes to correct me and says, no, it really means everybody's going to end up half blind. Because she's thinking about one eye for an eye. 
Listen. I don't know about you. There's not a lot I can do about Turkey. And there's not a lot that I can do about Paris. I can pray. And and that's a lot to pray. But I can do something about changing the environment that my children and your children grow up in right here. I can do something about that. And so can you. You can do more than sit up and watch MSNBC and Fox News and CNN and shake your fist. You can do more. As a matter of fact, I would argue that you shut all that stuff down and decide that you're going to allow the light of Jesus that's in you, the hope of Jesus that's in you, to spill out and make a difference. All right, I told you last week that you ought to have 10. Listen, this, this is the only way here. There is no magic portion we can drink. And that suddenly is not about suddenly we all become one color. How dull is that? <laughs> Who wants that? I don't. <laughs> but it means that we're going to decide that we're going to get out and do what we can do. And that begins with having these conversations that I told you about. Last week I said I'll share with you how to actually do it. So I've got four, four steps that, that each of us can take which shapes the attitude that we ought to engage in these conversations that I'm asking you from high, from, you, you know, young high schoolers can be, middle schoolers can be champions of hope. Elderly, frail people can be champions of hope. Uh, you don't have to be, you just have to be willing to have some dialogue. But you got to do it right, with the right attitude. There are four steps. Here's the first. First step. And it's reflected in the passages. The first step is, if you're going to talk to somebody, be prepared to listen to each other's story without judging and without trying to persuade. Now, everybody say story. The emphasis is on story. Don't, don't, I'm not talking about you going with your statistics. That's not a story. I'm not talking about slamming back and forth over, over different, you know, who's got the worst hurt. I'm not talking about, that's not a story. Go with your story. I just, you, the, what John is saying about Jesus, which is so unique about God, which is so special about Christianity, is that God decided that in order to redeem me and in order to redeem you, that God had to show up in our stories. And so that John 1 is about the incarnation. And verse 14 says, and the word became human and dwelled among us. In other words, he showed up in my story. And he didn't come with condemnation because John 3, 16, we know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But key to our believing in him is verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He already knows. He, he doesn't, he's not here to show you the bad points of your story. You probably already know that. But that the, all of us through him might be saved. 
That there's something unique. Jesus is teaching us there's something unique about my getting into your story. If you would dare allow me and, 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 and you getting into my narrative. And if I would dare allow you that there's a power that takes place and it impacts me and it impacts you. And it doesn't mean that we agree on all of the various items that is being debated. But it means that right there in the transaction of stories. Hope is born. You end up standing out in a crowd. You end up doing the work that can actually change probability. Right there. Give me an example. Last week after the message, in between gathering, people took me up and they start sharing with me their stories. And so one was an Asian American woman who came. To me. She said, Pastor, I'd love to share my story with you. Didn't take an hour, didn't take four to five minutes, really five minutes out in the courtyard. We stepped off to the side. Reminded me her name, where she's from. A little bit of her history. Then she said to me, you know, in middle school, I went to a school that's predominantly African-American. And they bullied me every day, every week, every year I was there. African-American students. Since I finally transitioned out of that, by the time I got to high school, it started over again. For some unknown, miraculous reason, at some point it stopped. She said, I, I, I just wanted you to hear my story. She wasn't debating what I had said. She wasn't discounting the experience I had relayed. She was not even trying to suggest that all black people are bullies. What she is simply saying is that my encounter with African Americans in this early stage, it, it has had an impact on me. And, and, and I just want to be honest with you about that, about that encounter. And, 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 and I entered into that experience and, and I affirmed her and I thanked her and we, 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 we prayed together. And hopefully something happened between parishioner and pastor. That was hopeful that is exchange stories let me read something uh, I don't know some of you a number of you sent out the message from last week I thought that was fabulous on Facebook and thank you so much for doing that please continue to get the word around Kristen our communication director did the same thing and and, and one of her friends that she went to school to that lives in Dallas gotten heard the message from last weekend and here's what she wrote I thought it was just worth repeating what she wrote she wrote posted it Kristen showed it to us she says over the past week I have done quite a bit of soul searching I've listened to several sermons the radio the TV what I've came away with is that everyone on all sides feels that they are right so the conversation is a stalemate. There are no solutions offered, she says. And so I ask, what can I do? That should be the question you're asking. To, 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 to do about this situation. Finally, referring to the message she heard last week, challenging people to have conversations. She says, finally, I can hear. She says, finally, here is a solution. And the best part 
is that no one has to be right. I can hear someone's story and see things from their perspective. That's all I have to do. Listen. She writes, that is the solution. Now, for some of you, you say, well, that just sounds so simple. Actually, it's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult because it requires risk. That Asian American woman who came to share her story with me, she risked. It wasn't a political correct story, especially after the message that I had preached. She took a huge risk. She, she didn't know how I was going to categorize her or mislabel her afterward. She had no idea. But somewhere in this notion, she just, she just trusted that, 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 that since, 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 since I stood up here and preached this message and I said that love is greater than hate, love is greater than fear, that just maybe she would take a risk. And when she did, she stood out. When she did, she started working against the odds. That's what a champion hope does. Stands out. Second point. Watch this. This is so, this is so inside of this incarnation. Yeah, this second point. Listen, with humility. Everybody say humility. With humility. Affirm each other's pain. And lean in towards empathy. That means I don't just feel for you. I'm feeling with you. And lean away from criticism. All right, let me show you. In Philippians, you'll find an interesting passage there. And what's going on is that these church leaders are fighting in the church of Philippi. In the church of Philippi. Paul is frustrating, so he writes them. He begins really in verse 3 or 4, and he, he essentially says to them, look, here's, <laughs> you guys are at each other's throat. He says, listen, just cut it out. Stop being selfish. Stop being, uh, trying to impress one another. He says, look, consider the other one person better than yourself. In other words, put the other person's interests ahead of yours. Give preference to the other person. Stop trying to make yourself the most important and the biggest and all that. That's what he's talking about, right? And then he grounds it theologically. He said, this ought to be your attitude because this was the attitude of Jesus. And he's another take on what John is talking about, Jesus' story. And so it picks up in verse 5. Look at what he says. In relationship with one another, have the same mindset. Say mindset. As Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, in other words, you mean he's God, he's big stuff. That's what Jesus is, big stuff. Come on now. In the nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used. He had power and preference at his disposal. Uh, it was his, but, he, but the text says he did not use it to his advantage. Next verse, watch this. Rather, shout rather. Rather, he made himself nothing. He stepped back. He, put, he said, let me step back and put the other ahead. Put all of us ahead. Taking the very nature of a servant. That's what I'm talking about. When you say that I'm going to take the risk, now wait a moment. It is a risk. I was talking to some people the other day and they shared with me. Because it says you lead the congregation to this, it said because African Americans tend to, when we share our stories of of oppression and trouble, people tend to hear them and then they just walk away. And when they do, that leaves the African-American feeling exposed and naked and vulnerable. 
And you know what, guys? That's a real risk, but it's worth taking. It's worth taking. Like the Asian American woman could have walked away feeling the same way, but she took. There's white people who say, I, I, I'm afraid of having these conversations because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Because I might say the wrong thing and I end up contributing to this notion of oppression. And, and I certainly don't want to be feeling guilty about stuff that, you know, I don't have anything to do with. And, and so, you know, and, and if I get into this conversation, you know, I might end up feeling guilty and, and I might say the same, the wrong thing. Well, you know what? You're right. It's a risk, but it's worth taking. Yes. Do it. Because his life is in you. His light wants to shine through you. And the text says that the light that wants to shine through you, darkness can never extinguish it. So let it shine. You won't be perfect. We won't be flawless. We're going to mess up and stumble along the way. But allow God's grace to handle the rest. This is the notion of Jesus. Now watch this text. I, I didn't finish it, but, but it says that he takes on the form of a likeness of, a, of humanity. He becomes us. He enters our story, right? And then he says, even to the point of death, he dies on the cross. He gives up himself. Here's 1 John 3, 16 puts it this way. Here's what love looks like. Jesus Christ died for us. So we ought to be able to lay down our lives for each other. I'm not asking you to take a bullet. I'm asking you to dare to have a conversation. Yes. Young, old, blissful. Have a conversation and keep your attitude in the back seat. Keep your judgment in the back seat. Don't discount the other person's story because it makes you feel better. No, suffer with them. Somebody says, well, I don't really have a racial story, story around race, part of the previous country. I don't have a story, but listen, if you don't have a story, think about your parents. Think about your grandparents. We all immigrants. I know that's news. I just made an announcement. Just go, just go back far enough. Come on now. Come on, the Irish, the Italian, the German, come on now. All of our Asian communities, I've, we all showed up here from somewhere. You got a story. So, well, I, I don't know those stories, all right. Have you ever suffered? See, the emphasis is on story. I don't want you to be throwing statistics and getting you know, No, no, no. It's a story, story. If I share a story about my pain and my suffering and it as it relates to race, and you don't have one, well, just think of a story where you suffer. See, at the end of the day, we all flesh. And either you have suffered, you are suffering, or I guarantee you, you will suffer before this life is over. Come on now. We all got a story. So lift that story up. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's whatever. And think about, what if you had to live that every day for the rest of your days on the planet and share it? And the third point is, to pray together. Everybody shout, pray. pray. Pray, pray. We need to pray together. You know, just think about how powerful this would be. Just think about how powerful this is. Jan Leah, 
who's a police officer in this congregation, she shares her story. She pours out her heart. She's heard me share my story. And when, she, when we're finished sharing stories, Janelia reaches out and she says, let me pray for your pain and the brokenness that happens in your life. And if I reach out and I say to Janelia, okay, when she finished praying for my pain, I pray for her pain. Yes. Isn't that extraordinary? Can you see that? I had another white man after worship gathering. I told you I had people sharing all day last weekend. I was like, before the whole over, I get to my 10. <laughs> but I welcomed it. The guy said, he waited till I was, got finished. We sat down. He said, story very similar to Asian American. He says, look, I grew up African Americans. They bullied me. and It was so bad, I went and learned karate. And then when I learned how to defend myself, I learned karate. Then they stopped bullying me. And I never got to use the karate. But anyway. <laughs> He said he then went to the military. Then he started working with African-Americans. They had each other back, and he had a whole other picture. And he said to me, he said, look, I just want you to know. He says, you know, and I'm here in a church like this. He says, but listen, there are times today that when I see African-Americans in certain circumstances, it triggers that old fear in me. He's being honest. And you know what I said? I said, at first I said, thank you. And, and I wish I had said this to the, the Asian-American woman. This is here. I'm saying it to you now. Uh, and I said to, to him, I said, you know, I'm sorry that those African-Americans bullied you. I, I'm, I, I'm sorry for that. I apologize. He said, oh, Pastor, you don't have to do that. He said, you know, you're not responsible for, you know, so forth and so on. I said, that's not the point. The point is, I just hurt your pain. And I'm an African-American. And I think it's helpful to you. And it's certainly helpful to me if I just say, you know what? I'm sorry. That's modeling humility. That's, that's, that's not, I, I didn't go back and say, look, well, yo, man, come on, you're just going to give me that. Look, do you not know that we had 300 years of slavery in this country and 100 years of segregation and we had Jim Crowism and you talking about three or four years in school? Come on, no! <laughs> that's crazy. I'm sorry. And you know what happened right there? Hope. Hope. And then lastly, stretch. Everybody say stretch. Stretch towards the other. That's what we're doing. That's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm so tired of reading these news, knowing that the church has the light of Christ in us and knowing that the darkness cannot extinguish it. I want to see our light shine. So you got to stretch. That's what the incarnation is all about. Man, can you imagine this? And uh, let's go back to finish this passage. Here's what's remarkable about the passage, right? That I finished in Philippians. I didn't say this at eight, so you should be excited. <laughs> they, Jesus takes low in an act to redeem. And then 11, uh, 11 through 13 says, and here's what God does. The father then does. It says, when he took low, the father says, come on, the text says, uh, 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 and now every knee shall bow 
and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Here was the point. Do your part and take low. Come on now. And serve the other across the race. And God will do his part and elevate and transform and redeem. All right. All right. So everybody say stretch. That's the incarnation. Just think about this. God was invulnerable. You couldn't hurt God. You couldn't kill God. You couldn't touch God. But God says, I love you so much. I'm so desperate about the redemption of who you are, your family, your friend, your community, your world, that I'm going to stretch. And John 14, 1, 14 says, and so the word became human. Watch this. By stretching towards the person of the other race and you do it so that the light of Christ can shine in you watch it you become a little bit more human the way God intended that's how stretch here let me finish it here it is so, we say that when you pray, you ought to come out of this asking what I'm going to do. Some of you are asking what you're going to do. So next week, we're going to roll this out. We want to help you. It's one thing to tell you what you ought to do. It's another thing to try to help you do it. So next week, come back. We're going to roll this out. Because we've created four different options so that you can apply these four steps. We call it Connect Four. So for some, it's, it's, it's just decided, I'm going to have some relational meetings with some people. And, and, and you, you know, you, where do I find these people? Well, look in your family. We have interracial marriages and relationships in our families. You know, just start there and start having some, you know, you've never had the conversation about race with them. So start. You, you work with people across race on your, co- on your job. You know, ask them in the light of what's going on. Tell them about the message. Tell them what's going on in church. They'll be fascinated. Really? You're doing that in church? Yes. Can we talk? Secondly, um, uh, perhaps inside of your family circle, just in your family, just your kids are watching this on TV, everybody's watching, just sit down and together around dinner and say, let's, let's share stories about your experience with people of other races. Let us share stories about our experiences. How do we make sense of this? Talk to them about the, the message and the preaching and the scriptures. Third life group. We have more than 50 life groups all over the Bay Area. All right, that's a good place to start. We're going to shape the notes here where you can get in those life groups. You're not going to be throwing statistics and getting into a debate. No. Well, we want you to remember those four steps. Start with, just tell me your story. I just want to hear. I may ask you some questions to try to understand about your story, but not to put you on the spot, not to persuade, not to, I I just want to know, I just want to get to know you a little bit better, your narrative. And then work through the empathy and work through the prayer together in your small life groups. And then lastly, uh, we're having what we call community conversations. We are, we're, we're, we're recruiting folk. That's what uh, Evelyn was talking about. We've raised up some people. We're going to train them around the therapists and all that. And we're going to put together some diverse groups, intentional. You can sign up next week. You say, well, I don't, none of that works for me. But yeah, I want to be in one that's kind of much more structured and controlled. Well, we're going to put those together. Diverse people, you can sign up. And then they're going to meet four times every other week. And they're going to work through those four steps as a group. Talking about getting to know one another. You see, the scripture is right. 
when the people of God stop watching TV and decide to be champions of hope, the light that shines, the darkness can never. Everybody shout never. never. Extinguish it. Here's where I'm going to end. I'm finished. Thank you for your patience. I got an email from somebody. Uh, Vince is his name. And uh, Vince sent me his email after the message. And Vince wanted me to know that he basically disagreed with everything I said. (laughs) Vince is not a racist, as we would say. He's married to an Asian-American. He's dated African-American folk. Uh, he's, 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 he, he, he loves people, he loves God, he just, he has a different set of stories. Here's what he wrote me. In response to your message, I hear many things I believe to be untrue, he says. You mentioned about because we are white, our families don't have to teach us how to treat an officer. May I say my family and all my white friends and families always taught us how to act when police pull us over. In fact, almost exactly what your son posted on Facebook. I believe that a simple that's a simple family issue. If someone is not taught like I was and how your son was, possibly it's a parenting issue, not race, just maybe. Some would say possibly that African Americans are not taught this as good as white families are as families such as mine and yours. Also, he's being honest. Uh, this is from a white man that has never seen white on black racism, only black on white racism. I've never seen any of my white friends, acquaintances, or strangers. Uh, uh, ever be racist to a black person but professionally and, per- and, and, and personally I've seen the reverse in fact you stated all these cases during the church where police was not proven guilty however you speak of them as if they were juries were mixed races if that matters my story pastor God bless so I call Vince uh, there this is exactly what we're talking about. So I, I, I communicated him on email, got his phone number, called him. I said, Vince, thanks for being honest. And he said, look, I don't, don't miscategorize me. And he laid out his stuff. I said, no, 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 no. Because first of all, Vince could have printed that publicly, but he sent it to me privately. It was his, his degree, his notion of respect. He's not trying to, he's just taking me up and says, I'm sharing my story. And I just, my story is different than yours. So I said to Vince, I said, look, let's meet next week. Let's spend about an hour together. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other. Let's exchange some stories. And then the second hour, I want us to do a one-on-one. We're going to videotape it. And then I'm going to play the videotape with your permission next week. So I can teach people in our congregation visually on site how this thing looks. Between a black and a white person that doesn't necessarily agree, we have different stories. And so Vince said, well, let me think about that. <laughs> a few more exchanges, and then we, then we talked on the phone. Vince said, count me in. And you know, right then, Vince became, took his second step, because the first step was to send the email. His second step as a champion of hope. Yes. 
So come back next week. Bring your family and friends. We're going to have a video. <laughs> Here's where I want to end. Last week I talked about Mr. Sterling. I talked about Mr. Castillo. But I didn't name the five police officers who lost their lives in Baton Rouge. I want to end today by calling out their names in a collective moment of prayer. Officer Michael J. Smith. Officer Lauren Herons. Officer Michael Crow. Officer Brent Thompson. Officer Patrick Zamaripa. And God, you know the names of the families and the officers who lost their lives today. You know the names of those who are crying right now. Touch. Make a difference. And by all means, give us the courage and the power to make a difference. Amen. One last thing. Show me your connection card. Please show it to me. I want you to look directly at the response to the message. If you're ready to do something, if you're ready to risk, if you're ready to let the light in you, which we know is Jesus, prove that darkness can't overtake it, I simply want you to write in the response to the message, I will be a champion. I choose to be a champion of hope. Turn that card in and I'll see you next week.